Today's message is part two of last week. If you have not heard last week's uh, message, please go back and check it out. Anybody remember what we were cooking last week? Ribs. In fact, a lot of people went and got ribs after service. I need to start charging people for free advertising. No, I'm messing around. But that's right. Last week, we were cooking juicy, well-seasoned, fall-off, the bone ribs. Good news, the ribs are almost done. They're almost ready. Last week, I explained just how you get ribs to fall off the bone. Ribs fall off the bone when they are slow cooked under moisture and heat. During that cooking process, ligaments and tissues that attach muscle to bones are loosened. I used this analogy to explain how God will cause Israel abuser Pharaoh to fall off his people. God does a slow cook judgment on the Egyptians. On the Egyptians. Each plague causes the ligaments and tissues of injustice, fear, oppression to disconnect itself from God's people. And as God enacts judgment, He's like good cooked ribs filling the air with His glory. God's purpose in the plague was to enact divine judgment in Egypt and divine mercy in Israel. This theme continues through the last five plagues which we will look at quickly and then seek application. Let's see how God continues to cook his ribs. But first, a recap. Previously on Chosen Moses. I had to do it, Rick. Israel was in terrible slavery in Egypt. God sends Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Pharaoh refuses to free the workforce of his nation as God predicted it. And he said he didn't know this God and therefore doesn't respect him. God enacts ten judgment plagues against Egypt. Each of them was a weapon of mass destruction. Each of them displayed, watch it now, God's sovereign power over aspects of the life the Egyptians attributed control to their gods, particularly Pharaoh. But there is only one God. There is only one God. And you guys are about to find out that Pharaoh isn't it. But neither are you. And neither am I. The one God is Yahweh. So let's quickly go through plague six and nine and note some key distinctions. Friends, we are in season six still. We'll be finishing up season six. We're on episode six, plague six. Things are boiling over. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take a handful of soot from the Kalin and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It should become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all of Egypt. First of all, God is God and 
and his sovereignty is seen in the intensification of the judgment and the plagues. These plagues, if if you've been paying attention through our text flicks, these plagues become progressively worse and more dangerous, so much so that it's all over social media. This, This meat is going to come off of this bone. This time, God attacks their bodies with boils. We're not given a specific description of this disease. We're told that it came upon with boils breaking out with sores on man and beast in verse 10. It may have been some sort of boil or leprosy or smallpox or now scabs, whatever it was, it was spreading quicker than the Rona, y'all. And now all, now everybody in the room remember Pharaoh had his own crew, right? He had those magicians. Y'all remember those guys, right? God is God and is, and his sovereignty is seen in his triumph over magic and occult power. They were so miserable, those magicians, that when Pharaoh called for the magicians to come, even they had to call in sick that day. One writer says, now in verse 11, we find that the magicians are utterly defeated. Remember, they showed up, Moses threw his staff down, turned into a snake. They said, Moses, anything you can do, we can do better. They threw their staff down. And it was three snakes. And the Bible says that Moses, that Moses' snake ate up Pharaoh's snake. And he did another thing. And then Moses went on to do another act of judgment. And they said, Moses, anything you can do, we can do better. And they copycat what Moses did. But Mama Bell told me something on the way home. She said, Pastor, is I, you know, I was laughing the whole time because when God decided to do the next plague, which if y'all don't remember, God caused gnats to come out of the dust. She said, you know what? God said, you may have been able to do the other two things, but check this out. Can you make life come out of dust? You can't do that. And I said, you know what? That's praiseworthy moment right there. This is why I like talking to the body because I didn't even catch that during my sermon prep. But I said, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And the reason why I shouted, because once upon a time, I was dust, y'all. And God made a life come out of this dead body. Here it is. And so God utterly defeats the magicians. By the way, there's one God against all the, 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 the whole empire. And just as the third plague, they had to admit, we can't do this. This is the finger of God. Now they are unable to stand before Moses. They are themselves victims. Verse 10 tells us that Moses stands before Pharaoh. God causes him to stand before Pharaoh, but now the magicians cannot stand before Moses. Are you following me this morning? Watch it now. Don't miss any of it. This sermon cannot contain all that there is to preach. I mean, there is so much that can be said. There are so many good things in here. And indeed, this is the final mention of the magicians until 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. You don't hear from these cats ever again. 
until you get to the New Testament. God's a bad God, y'all. They were so defeated that they did not surface again in the Old Testament. God is dismantling this kingdom, this empire, these false gods slowly but surely. Take a closer look at the verse. What were the kindlings used for? That, that God told them to throw up in the air, they were used for making bricks. As one commentator points out, the very kindlings that, that Egypt forced Israel to use to make bricks is now the source of God's judgment on Egypt. God will take the things used to oppress you, to impress you by his power. God can use, yeah, you can give God praise there. God can use the things that were meant to oppress you, to deliver you. Oh, somebody missed that. God will use the very things that people thought would hold you back and hold you down and lock you out. And God would say, give it to me. And God will turn it around and use it for your good. Don't despise your weakness. God loves to show out in your weakness. This is ironic, don't you think? All of Egypt was miserable. Magicians are defeated. By this time, we think that the meat would have fell off the bone. Did it cause Pharaoh to let Israel go? No, it didn't. We still got more cooking to go. This is why we got episode seven. Plays seven and eight, hail and locusts. God forewarns Pharaoh before the hail in the thunder. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants, and on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name May be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Now notice how God reveals his heart in these verses. First he wants Pharaoh to know these are my people, not your people. Pharaoh, I need to draw a line here. I need to make a statement here. I need to remind you of something, that these people that you are oppressing, these people that you are enacting injustice upon are my people. Watch it now, how God wants to show, teach Pharaoh a very valuable lesson. Don't you mess with what is mine, Pharaoh. Pharaoh has been treating these people horrible like they belong to him. This is why, church, we got to be careful how we treat other image bearers because people don't belong to you. They belong to God. 
Listen, when you belong to God and people and organizations do you wrong, just remember you have a father that cares about you. Did you hear me in here, church? We also see at the end of verse 14 that that's the logical purpose of Exodus. That you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Pharaoh, not only do I want you and your people to know that Israel is my people, I also want you to know that there's only one God. And God tells us in verse 15 that he is in total control. God makes it clear to Pharaoh, I could have just killed all of you. But he reiterates his purpose in verse 16. God reminds us why he is even allowing this fight to go on, why he is slow cooking the meat. I mean, God could destroy this dude, but in order to show you my power to proclaim my name in all the earth, I'm going to let you live. I'm going to slow cook. Like I said last week, just like the rib joint, right? The slow cook feels the air. You smell the ribs before you see the rib joint. And, And the smell does what? It fills you with hope. It fills you with It fills you with faith. You smell those good ribs, and something happens down in your soul. Something, I don't know if anybody ever been hungry for a long period of time, and you smell some good ribs. Something happens deep down in the inside. Oh, y'all don't know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about hungry joy. I'm talking about hungry faith. It does something to you. And friends, this is what is happening in Israel as God fills the air. Joy is filling the air. Peace is filling the air. But it's not just out there. It gets down up in here. And this is why I tell folks, it ain't enough just to go to the rib joint and never taste the ribs and don't allow the ribs to get down on the inside. The same is true with church. You can come to church and get into church and never get into God and that ain't gonna do you no good but I came to tell you you got to taste it for yourself and be able to testify I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good you ever had some really good rib you start telling your mama you start telling your say no y'all got to go taste those ribs down there I'm telling y'all ought to be telling people there's a word down there in Bethel Gary you ought to go get you some and walk out with joy and walk out with peace and walk out with faith. God is filling the air for his glory. This is God. And I don't know what you're in today, but there is a God. The same is true today that was true 4,000 years ago. God would allow situations to linger, not because they are hard for him, but because he plans to get glory out of it. Come here, Lazarus. The Gospel of John, y'all remember nestled, cradled in the Gospel of John is a, is a sweet relationship between three people in Jesus, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Word gets out to Jesus that his friend, no, this ain't just any friend. I mean, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha was Jesus' homeboys. When Jesus had nowhere else to go, he would would spend the night. It was a free Airbnb for Jesus at Martha and Mary's crib. That's what Jesus would reside at. And so if anybody that Jesus would come for, it should be Lazarus. And so he gets word that Lazarus is sick. 
but he doesn't come. Now, the thing that is baffling is that if you know anything about Jesus, he actually doesn't have to come. He can actually speak the word and Lazarus would have been healed. But if you read too fast, you'll miss it. Jesus says that let him, let him be there. Just, 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 just let it sit. And he says why? He says because this sickness is not unto death but unto the glory of God. Friends, what I'm trying to teach you this morning is that God will let things linger so that he can get glory out of it. God's main goal is not the deliverance of Israel, but the glory of God. Even Satan is for the glory of God. As, as one writer said, the devil is God's devil. God is not the author of evil, but he uses evil for his glory and our good. Pharaoh and the plague show it, but not as clearly as the cross of Christ. The greatest evil ever was the murder of Jesus. Our sovereign God used the greatest evil as the context for the greatest good. Watch his wisdom now. Jesus' murder was Jesus' victory over sin, death, and Satan. And accomplish our eternal salvation for the praise of his glory, which is why we were able to sing, oh, how he loves us earlier. This passage is crucial for our understanding of God's providence. God's providence often has a dual purpose. He is often doing several things at once. In this instance, we see God revealing both his wrath and his mercy. Wrath, destructive hailstorm. Egypt became a nation in uh, 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 3100 B.C. So we're being told here that for 1,700 years, there had never been a storm like this. But over in Goshen, was anything, well, uh, was judgment raining down over there? What was raining down over there? Mercy. Hundreds of millions of hungry locusts God let loose on Egypt. And they were experiencing a severe supply chain problem. All the food was gone. Shelves were bare. Even Pharaoh's servants were noticing what was on and asked Pharaoh, do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? The narrative is changing, y'all. At first, everybody's confident in Pharaoh, and now they're going to Pharaoh. Like, dude, what are you doing? You're killing us. But does Pharaoh let God's people go? Of course he doesn't. That's why we got episode nine. <laughs> Plague number nine. Pharaoh versus Nipsco and Comet. Can y'all resonate with that? Amen. I thought it would have got an amen somewhere. I had trouble writing it. Had flashbacks, trauma. I mean, it was in the room or online and half the utility company cut our lights off. Just left us in the dark. Lighting candles. But y'all, this is a different kind of dark here. What can we say about this plague? Why darkness? Well, one thing we know about darkness in all the Bible is it is a sign of God's judgment. Spiritually, church, let's get serious. Spiritually, you don't want to be left in the darkness. Darkness in the Bible is a sign 
of God's abandonment. What does the Bible teach us about our God? He is light. And so when a judgment sign of darkness comes, it indicates his removal of God's self from a situation for blessing. This plague of darkness shows the sovereignty of God over Ra, the sun god, the chief of the gods of Egypt. The Egyptians worshiped Ra in almost all of the palace ceremonies. Ra worship was pervasive in the land. They believed that the sun rise in the east symbolized Ra's victory over the demonic powers of the underworld. And that sunset indicates these forces of darkness were waging war against Ra. But God gives them three days of darkness to show Ra is no God at all. The sun is no God at all. See, you're not clapping as loud as you should be because a lot of us worship a lot of things which have left us in the dark. But here's the thing that you found out that the things that you thought that would give you light, your money, your bank account, your status, your, your, all these things, and you found out that they actually left you in the dark, that they were no God at all. But hey, glory be to God that one day a light pierced through the darkness. I'm not talking about darkness out there. I'm talking about darkness in here. Pierced through your dark heart. God showed up, lifted you up out of the grave, put your feet on solid rock, and now you've been walking in the light. It's dark in Egypt. Nipsco can't help them. The Illinois folks. Comet can't help them. It's dark. No, it's pitch dark. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. Dark. Did Pharaoh let God's people go? No, he didn't. Because we got the season finale. Plague 10. This how to get the ribs to fall off the bone. The death of the firstborn. They're intensifying. The Lord said to Moses, one more plague. One more plague. And I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let my people go from here. I need you to feel that with the weight in which I felt that. That when God decided to enter this battle with Pharaoh, it wasn't God might deliver his people. It wasn't he may deliver his people. It may feel that way if all you know is, is, is season one, two, and three. But if you watch the end of the season, you'll realize that, 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 that God will free his people. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Did y'all catch it? <laughs> I didn't catch it. God said, by the time I'm done, Pharaoh going to be rushing y'all up out of here. <laughs> Pharaoh himself. Gonna be rushing y'all out of here. This plague didn't happen to after the institution of the Passover, but I know to here as the last and most terrifying plague, the ironies are clear. Egypt sought to kill all of Israel's firstborn sons. Now God returns their terror on them by killing every Egyptian firstborn. 
But let's be honest. This is difficult on us to swallow. There's much more like it to come. God will drown the entire Egyptian army in the Red Sea. Destroy entire families and order Israel to wipe out all the people living in Canaan. If that wasn't hard enough, we look to the future and see God's judgment of sinners for their sin, punishing them forever. This has led some to wrongly conclude that the God of the Old Testament was the God of judgment and punishment, and the God of the New Testament is the God of love and mercy. No, God isn't fickle. He never changes. Better is to see God's mercy and his judgments. Didn't God warn Egypt and Pharaoh each time before he, he rained down his wrath on them? Wasn't each plague a merciful work of God for Israel in Egypt? We know this because when Israel left Egypt, watch this, some of the Egyptians went with them. They're like, oh, where y'all going? <laughs> I'm going too. I ain't staying back here. <laughs> Not with that psychopath. I ain't staying here. <laughs> Pack my bags. Grab your kids, grab your wife, eat Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Woke up, grabbed a cold pop. No. Egyptians who converted to Hebrew faith and believed in the God of Abraham. The death of the firstborn leading Gentiles to believe in God. Does that sound like anything? Jesus is God only begotten whose death has led millions of Gentiles to believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the majesty and mystery of the holiness and the wrath of God. Friends, we leave season six knowing both the judgment and the mercy of God is real. And so as we await season seven, what can we walk away with today? What can we post on our social media accounts? What can we boast about? What can we worship? What can we put on the bird in the gram? What can we put up there? I want to give you three things. Number one. God can sink any ship. God can sink any ship. Many of you might be reminded of the movie, The Titanic. It's a long movie. You got to pack a lunch to watch it. You may also recall the arrogance of those boarding and those who built the ship. They were making statements about how this ship couldn't sink. In fact, Edward John Smith said, not even God can sink this ship into the day. It struck that iceberg, and he would drink those words because we must be reminded there is nothing that man builds that God can't bring down. Wait a minute. Including his pride and his arrogance. Surely the Egyptians thought not even God can sink this empire. And God tears it down. Anything we build our identity outside of him, remember each plague was a direct attack on every titanic god in Egypt. All these little gods were no match at all for God. I remind you of this, Bethel Garrett, because we sometimes in fear can begin to believe there are some ships that will never sink in this life. But let me remind you of this. Pharaoh will not let Israel out of Egypt. And so what does God announce? You won't let my people go out of Egypt. In fact, Pharaoh, since you won't let them go, I'm going to show up myself at your doorstep. I'm coming to Egypt myself to bring it 
down. None of his money, none of his army, none of his people, none of his magicians, none of them could save him from the wrath of God. And friends, I came to tell you nothing that you have, nothing that you possess can save you from the wrath of God. In other words, just get out of the way. God will just show up in Egypt himself. God can sink any ship. Number two, there's only two categories in life. Do y'all remember in the movie Titanic when the loved ones came to see who made it and who didn't? There were two categories. Those who survived and those who didn't. But before they left, before this ship ever sank, they had classified people. They had upper class and middle class and middleish class and, and, and lower class. Yeah, that's what we do in society. We like to classify people and, 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 and we must admit, we like to get stuff to make us feel more human, I guess. The more degrees I got, the more human I feel. The, the, well, depending on where I live, the square inch of my house, all of this makes us feel good about ourselves. And this is what was happening on the Titanic. They had to pour down at the people. People were classified by what they had in their bank accounts the clothes that they wear, the network that they had. But when it was all said and done, it came down to two categories, not the rich and the poor, but the living and the dead. For yeah. Friends, and I came this morning to ask you a question. What category are you in spiritually? What category are you in spiritually is determined by if you are under judgment or under mercy. I know y'all not used to this kind of preaching. And that is determined by which gods you're rocking with. Are you rocking with dead gods? Those idols that can't save, can't hear, can't rescue, can't give peace, can't give joy? What's the God in your life right now? Or are you rocking with the only living God, Yahweh? And friends, let Egypt be an example to you that judgment is not what you want. The book of Hebrews says that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. No, no, no. Hear it now. Let it land on you. I don't want you to leave here and miss that and leave that in the seat. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Watch Pharaoh now. What habit? What spiritual habit? That the hardness of the heart of Pharaoh reap upon not just him, but his entire people, his entire empire, because he wouldn't repent and turn to God. Hard hearts create havoc in our lives in judgment. But to be under God's mercy is the opposite. It's so peaceful. It's so reassuring. We see the difference in the distinction of judgment and mercy in verse 7. It is made very clear that God will make a distinction between Israel and Egypt. Israel is going to be unscathed, and the Egyptians will see this and know this. In fact, Moses uses a figure of speech to emphasize, watch it, how completely protected the children of Israel are going to be. I need you to catch this now. 
I need you to see this. It's kind of it's funny, but it's also reassuring at the same time. Watch what he says. Moses says, when God shows up on, on Egypt, there'll be terror, there'll be mourning, there'll be screaming. But over in Goshen, not even a dog will bark. <laughs> not even or nothing. I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna be a chihuahua. I ain't gonna be, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna be nothing. No, God said there's gonna be so much peace that not even a dog will be barking. Now you might be wondering, with that being the case, Pastor, and that sounds real good, and that sounds real nice. But I got questions, Pastor. I got questions, so I hope that you did your homework, Pastor, because I'm wondering how in the world do I cross from Egypt to Goshen? How in the world do I cross from judgment? To mercy. Well, friends, on that Titanic, there was some, so, uh, there was something on the Titanic that saved 705 people. They had a backup plan on the Titanic, which is ironic, being that they said that not even God can sink it. They had a thing called a lifeboat. It, a lifeboat is made with the intent to rescue, rescue people from death, rescue people from danger. Friends, I came to tell you today about another lifeboat. In fact, it's Palm Sunday. When we sing Hosanna, which is a plea for God to save, can I tell you the world is sinking, but God sent the lifeboat. Can I tell you that this lifeboat has unlimited capacity? Oh, yes, it has room for you, and it has room for me. Can I tell you I tried this lifeboat, and it's got me to the other side. Anybody know what lifeboat that I'm talking about? Some of you may know him as the lion in the lamb. Some of you may know him as the lily in the valley. Some of you may know him as the bright and morning star. Some of you may know him as the alpha and the omega. Some of you may know him as the lawyer in the courtroom, the doctor in the sick room, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. Y'all know who I'm talking about yet? The lifeboat, the one who rescues and set free. I'm getting ready to say his name. His name is Jesus. Oh, he's a lifeboat. And if you would get on that lifeboat, he'll get you home safely. You know, there were some folks on the Titanic that refused to get on the lifeboat. And they went down with that ship. Friends, that ain't got to be you this morning. God has made a way out, and it is through his son, Jesus Christ. I figured y'all wouldn't believe me, so I said, you know what? Instead of just teaching it, I'm just going to read it to you like the Word gives it to you. Here it is. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let me run it back one more time. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son, Pharaoh, shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. I just told you your lifeboat. Let me give it to you again. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son remains on the Titanic and will sink in the sea. But the wrath of God remains on those who do not trust in Jesus. Friends. God is still in the saving business. 
God is still in the rescuing business. God is still in the setting free business. There is a lifeboat. And some of us in the room, we've been on that lifeboat for a mighty long time. Waiting for the seas of glory. I want to say something to you. Some of those people waited all night on those lifeboats. But early one morning, help show up. Friends, why did they stay in that lifeboat? Because it was all the hope that they had. Believers in the room, can I plead with you this morning? Stay in the lifeboat. I know, I know that sometimes you're tempted to jump out of the lifeboat because life starts rocking and life starts shaking and people start saying things and you see memes on Facebook and you get ridiculed and made fun of. But friends, stay on the lifeboat because ain't nothing out there but cold water deep blue seas that you can't survive, but if you stay on the lifeboat, God will get you home safely. Oh, how I wish Pharaoh would have got on the lifeboat. I wish that other Egyptians would have got on the lifeboat. But their time is up. With every eye closed and every head bowed. Perhaps there's some people in the room that have yet to get on the lifeboat that God has offered. He put nails in his hands and he put nails in his feet and he put a crown of thorns on his head and he and he died, church. Yes, he did die. Oh, he died and to death died, church. He died and to, to Satan was defeated. He died, church. Yes, he died. He died to rescue us. He died to set us free. He died so that our sins will be no more. He died so that we can be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He died, church. This morning, you're on that Titanic, and it feels like your life is drowning. Feels like, feels like you're sinking. And I tell you, you ain't got to be like Egypt. You ain't got to be like Pharaoh. You can get on the lifeboat. You say this morning that, that that's me, pastor, as the worship team comes back. That's me, pastor, needing to get on that lifeboat. If you would just slip your hand up, we want to pray for you. If that's you in the room, you say, I need to get on that lifeboat with every eye closed and every head bowed. I see that hand going up. I see that hand going up. Praise the Lord for life. Get on that lifeboat. Okay, you say, Pastor, that category doesn't fit me. I've trusted Jesus, but I got to admit, I've been having some doubt lately. Yeah, there's all kind of reasons why I've been having doubt, but I've been tempted to jump off the lifeboat. If that's you this morning, we want to pray for you as well. Slip your hand up as well. We want to pray for you. I see hands going up all over this room. Praise God, he's in the saving business. Not only is he in the saving business, he's in the keeping business. He'll keep you. Oh, yes, he'll keep you. 
Oh, you ain't got to have it all figured out. Maybe you say, I got some folks that I've been trying to witness to and they just won't get off that Titanic. They think that it'll never sink. Pastor, I need you to pray. I need the church to pray for some folks in my life. If you got some folks that we need to intercede for, go ahead and throw your hand up as well. Get that person in your mind. Hallelujah for a church that cares about the lost.